Well, good morning, church family. I hope that you're staying safe and warm at home. Go ahead and grab your Bible. We're going to continue through our Gospel of John series. Go ahead and grab that blanket, a cup of coffee, cuddle up a little bit. But don't get too comfortable of being at home. Um, what's better than a warm cup of coffee at home while you hang out in your PJs is being in a great Christian community that can bear one another's burdens, pray for one another, encourage one another. And so we'll be back next week in person, Lord willing. And uh, so we're looking forward to that, make a plan to be here. But for today, we'll be walking through the Gospel of John, the last part of chapter 1. We've been in the Gospel of John three weeks now. And if you're doing the math, you might be thinking, oh my goodness, we, uh, we've spent three weeks and we're not even out of the first chapter. We're going to be in the Gospel of John forever, right? Well, uh, we'll pick up the pace as we continue to move for, through the Gospel of John. And hopefully we'll, uh, we're planning to have it done by the end of 2022. So it'll be a sweet time. And as you continue to make your way there, I just want to give you a quick update. Uh, some of you that have been here for a while are familiar with Hope Academy. This is a great ministry that utilizes our property and our facilities. And they've been here um, using West Cabarrus' property for 11 years now. 11 years. So it's amazing to see uh, how God has utilized them to reach hundreds of kids um, with a Christian education in the gospel. And I'm excited to tell you that... Um, they're going to continue to partner with us for the foreseeable future for several years ahead. Now you'll get a quick little video from me and an email. And I'm with the head of the school there, Courtney Elliott. She's going to share a little bit of the vision and the purpose of it. But I'm excited. I'm excited about it. Uh, they're excited about it. And the reason why is because it helps us to fulfill our mission as a church. Everything that we do is, is around glorifying God by making more and better disciples from neighborhoods to nations. And Hope Academy is allowing us to utilize and steward what God has given us in order to reach the neighborhoods, to reach these kids and these families in our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, you'll see several things that we want to do to help steward well the resources God's given us. And so they'll continue to use our facilities. We're looking at helping them expand and to flourish in the years ahead, using some of our property to place temporary buildings on until they can get to the point where they can purchase their own property and be able to remove those buildings. And, and so there's a lot that's going to come. You'll continue to hear more about that in the days ahead. But just excited for what God has and how we're able to utilize um, our facilities for the glory of God by making more and better disciples from neighborhoods to nations. All right. Gospel of John. Gospel of John chapter 1. will be starting in verse 35. And this is what the word of the Lord says. The next day, again, John, and if you weren't here last week, this is uh, John the Baptist, not John the author of the Gospel of John. Uh, so the next day, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw they were following him and said to him, what are you seeking? And they said to him, uh, Rabbi, which means teacher, um, where are you staying? And he said to them, come, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed there with him for that day for it was about the 10th hour or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was named Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, 
named Simon, the son of John. And you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, a rock. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. And he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city Andrew and Peter were from. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Pray for us, Lord. Lord, we thank you today for who you are. You are a gracious God who invites us to know you. To know the one who is all worthy of us. The one who is above all and is worthy of all. Yet in this passage, you tell us to come and to see. And you invite us to follow you. So thank you that you call us to come and to see. And thank you that you are the God who sees us and knows us. And I ask today that you would help us to know you. And this morning, I pray that you would take a moment just to ask that God would speak to you through his word today. That you would see, believe, and live today. Stir in our hearts and make us more like you today. It's in your name that we pray. And when I lived in Raleigh, we had several friends that kept telling us, you have to come to the State Fair. You've got to come to the State Fair. You've got to check it out. You've got to come and see. Now, I grew up in North Carolina, but I have never been to the State Fair until we moved up to Raleigh. And everybody kept inviting us after inviting us. And so finally, we're like, okay, okay, we get it. We'll come and see. We'll come and check out what the State Fair is all about. And we go there, and everybody is pitching the same thing. Come and see what we have. So we're wandering around the State Fair, and there are people that are saying, come and see this food. Check out this food. You need to see it. And so people are saying, come and check out our Cheerwine elephant ears, and, and come and check out our, our uh, burger that's got a Krispy Kreme donut for the bun on the top and the bottom, and, and, and see how great it is. People are screaming and they're shouting, come and see our spas that will help relax you throughout all the year, not just during the state fair. And they're saying, come and see these animals, these giant horses. Come check those out or come check out the, the smallest pony that you'll ever see. Like, come and see all of these different things. Come and see this game that if you play and you win, you'll get this stuffed animal that, that you'll be excited to have. 
And so literally as you walk around the fair, that's what you continue to, to see and to hear over and over again. Like, come and see, come and check this out. Well, what's interesting is my daughter, who loves animals, hears and sees that there's one place that says, come and see the world's largest tortoise. And my daughter, just fascinated with animals, says, Dad, can we please, please go see the world's largest tortoise? And I can't remember how old she is at this time, but she, she's fairly young. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to spend money to go see, quote, the world's largest horse, right? Like, I've been around. I, I've seen enough to know, like, I'm getting hoodwinked in this area, right? But my daughter with those puppy dog eyes is saying, let me see the world's largest horse. And so I cave. I'm like, fine, let's, let's come in and let's, let's see. So we pay the money and we come in. And we see the horse, uh, the world's largest horse, apparently. And it was just a, it was a Clydesdale horse. That's all it was, which, it's a big horse, right? But, like, it's not what you would imagine the world's largest horse. It's just a big horse. And my daughter comes in with such excitement. Come and see the world's largest horse. And then when she sees it, she's like, oh, okay, that's fine. Let's go do something else. So we go out there, and she's rushed on to the next come and see thing, right? Now, all of us know this feeling that my daughter had, and especially those of us that are adults. This whole idea of come and see, and you'll be satisfied with this, and you're just never satisfied. We continue to be let down time and time again. And yet, there's something within our hearts that continues to draw us to people who say, come and see. Like, our culture preaches it all the time. Come and see this new iPhone. Come and see this new restaurant. Come and see this new app. Come and see, come and see, come and see. And yet we come there and we still find it lacking. But there's something in our heart that's drawn to us. And I believe that Jesus knows that. And in this passage, he knows what our hearts are longing for. And he says, come and see. Come and see something that's not going to leave you lacking. And so church family, as we look at this passage this morning, I want us to see that Jesus invites us. He invites us to come and to see. Now it's fascinating to me in this passage that we've been reading all through chapter 1 and yet Jesus has not said a word. We haven't seen Jesus say anything in the Gospel of John yet. And the very first things that he says are, what are you seeking? And come and see. I think Jesus knows something about our heart's desire, that we're seeking after something, that we're looking to see something. So he says, what are you seeking? Come and see. Now it's fascinating, Jesus, when he's walking and John the baptizer looks and says, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? We talked about that last week. Two disciples finally, after hearing it the second time, are like, okay, we'll follow this guy. We'll check him out. We'll see what this is all about. And so they start to follow Jesus. And Jesus sees them following. It's probably a little creepy in this moment, like you're just continuing to trail behind me. And Jesus stops and he turns around and he looks at them and he says, what are you seeking? Now, we'll find as we continue to look through the Gospel of John is that Jesus many times is speaking in a much deeper level. He speaks about a lot of heart issues that people just don't understand. So even an example that we'll see as we continue to go through John, like this woman at the well, 
she, she's there, and she's talking with Jesus, and Jesus says, can I get something to drink? And she says, what, why, why would you ask me for something to drink? And he's like, whoa, wait a second. If you knew who I was, then you would be asking for something to drink for me. She's like, wait, what are you talking about? You don't have a bucket. You don't have anything to get water. How are you going to do this? Like Jesus is speaking on a whole nother level from where this woman was. And I believe that's what's happening here. He sees these disciples that are following him, these two men, and Jesus turns around to them and says, what are you seeking? I believe that Jesus is looking at something deeper in the heart in this moment, and he's asking them that question, what are you seeking? And that is a fantastic question to ask that our world does not want you to ask. Our world just wants you to, to look and to agree with everything that you see. Just take it in. And we're met with distraction after distraction after distraction. And so we never truly ask this question, what are you really seeking? What is it that our hearts are really longing for? And I believe that's what Jesus is getting to in this moment is the heart of the issue. He's asking them the question that they don't understand in this moment, but Jesus is going to show them over time. What are you seeking? And I love this because they kind of spaz out here for a second. Jesus says, what are you seeking? I mean, imagine the creator of the whole universe saying to you, what are you seeking? What do you desire? And how would you answer that question? But they in this moment, because they have heard John say, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. They know he's important. And he says, what are you seeking? And they're like, um, uh, your address? <laughs> like, what's? What's your address? And Jesus is so gracious and so kind. He was most likely asking a much deeper question. And they say, where, where are you staying? What's your address? Where are you? And Jesus in his grace and his mercy does not shame them for, for asking for the wrong thing or not asking a clearer question. He doesn't, in this moment, stop and say, wait a second, you don't understand who I am. And if you want to follow me, then you better understand my commands. You better be able to give a clear statement of who I am. Like, John the Baptist can follow me because he understands I'm the Lamb of God. But you guys, you don't understand it yet. You don't understand the question I'm asking. You don't get it. And so, mm, no, you can't follow me. But the grace of Jesus says, come and you will see in this moment. It's an amazing invitation from Jesus. Amazing invitation. See, Jesus knows that not just these disciples, but all of us are on a scavenger hunt for soul rest. He doesn't demand that you understand everything about him. He takes them right there where they are and he just says, you want to know where I stand? Come and see. Come and see who I am. Come and see what I'm teaching. Come and see who I am. And he's, he's giving them an invitation. And I love this. Because they get this invitation to come and to see the king of all creation. And it stirs their heart and their minds in such an incredible way that it leads them to start calling others to do the same. You see, it tells us in verse 40 that one of the disciples of John that's, that's following Jesus is, is Andrew. 
And Andrew, literally, he hears about Jesus, and then he follows Jesus, and he sits down at Jesus' feet, and he listens to him for a little bit, and sees a little bit of what he's doing, and then he rushes immediately from there to go find his brother, to go find Simon. And he's like, you've got to see this guy. You've got to see Jesus, the one that we've been hoping for and longing for. Like, we have found him. You see, Andrew understands something that we have to understand about discipleship. It's that it's once you are rescued, now you're a part of the rescue team. Once you are rescued, now you're a part of the rescue team. It doesn't end with you. The gospel is for you. It's just not all about you, right? And so he sees Jesus. He, he responds with his call to follow Jesus. And then he rushes to help rescue others. To help others see this Messiah. To see this Lamb of God. To see Jesus. And this is God's design. You read the New Testament, every single time that the disciples started to turn inward, Jesus came down hard on them. He doesn't stop with you. He goes far beyond you. And any time the disciples turned outwards and they started to, to look for other people and to help rescue other people and turn other people to Jesus, Jesus is encouraging them and high-fiving them and praising them like, well done. This is what Jesus calls us to do. To be a part of the rescue team, to take the gospel, the good news of himself coming to earth to forgive us of our sins to other people. This is what he calls us to do. But if we're honest, for most of us that have loved Christ and followed him for many years, our hearts start to turn inward really quickly. I can't remember all the statistics off the top of my head, but... Within the first year or two of somebody coming to Christ, they'll share the gospel so many times. But then after that, they start to turn more and more inward and become more and more self-centered. And Jesus is like, no, you've got to be outward focused. You've got to be thinking of other people and helping to rescue other people. And I was a discipleship pastor for years. And it was interesting. I would talk with small group leaders. And there were some small group leaders that would say, no, 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 no. Our small group is full. We don't have any other space for anybody else. Like, I've had people tell me, if you put anybody else in our small group, we're losing the church. And that's a sad picture because that's not the mission and the ministry of Jesus Christ. It's always about, we want to see more people trust in Jesus Christ. We want to see more people grow in their faith. And I used to get angry when people would say, no, we don't, we don't want anybody else in our group. But then I realized that the desire that we have of kind of the us four and no more, like we just want to be around people that believe what we believe and that can encourage us and support us, that desire is not a bad desire. It's just a wrongly timed desire. You see, that desire for us, just for us to be around people that believe and think the same thing that we believe and think, that's a heavenly desire. Because there will come a day when we will be in heaven and in glory with Jesus Christ. And when he comes again, creates the new heavens and the new earth, where everyone will believe what we believe. We'll no longer have a chance to share the gospel with people. There's coming a day when we will be around a community of people who love Jesus and follow Jesus. And so there will be a day when we won't be able to invite anybody else because everybody will be there. But until that day, we've got to look just like the disciples did. Look outward. Who is it that needs to know about this good news of Jesus Christ and share that truth? If you've been rescued and redeemed by Jesus, then it is your goal to go out and point people to the rescuer and the redeemer, just like Andrew did. And so two points of application with this first point is if you don't know Jesus, 
would you come and see? Maybe that's why you're watching online today. You don't know if you believe this, this Jesus. You don't even know much about him, but you're just kind of tuning in today because you're stuck at home and you're just surfing the internet and you found a church service. We're glad that you're tuning in. We're glad that you're, you're listening this morning. Jesus would invite you to come and to see. Come and to see. And read the Gospel of John with us. Stick, stick with us over the, the weeks ahead as we go through this book and see who Jesus is. Let me just invite you to come and to see. For those of us that know and love Jesus, let me challenge you to find and tell. Find and tell. Just like the disciples did, would you do the same? This week, would you, would you look for a chance, or even this month, this week, this year, look for a chance to share your faith with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Look for a chance to share an invitation with somebody. Now, let me be specific with this. Give them uh, an invitation, not a non-invite. Let me tell you what I mean by that. So often we give non-invites, like, hey, why don't you come to church with me sometime? That is a non-invite. Let me tell you why. If you open up your calendar and you look, th there's nowhere on there sometime. You won't see any, anywhere on your calendar sometime. So when you say, come to church with me sometime, there's, there's, there's no invite with that. That's a non-invite. Invite somebody. Just be specific to say, hey, I'd love on a Sunday morning, let's go to Panera over here by the mall. I'll get your breakfast that day. We'll get a cup of coffee. And then I would love for you to come to church with me and sit with me. Invite them to come with you to see Jesus just like Andrew did. And we'll see the other disciples did. Come and see. Would you invite somebody? Would you just be faithful to share what God has been doing in your heart through the weekend? Every week if we're gathering under God's word. People on Monday or Tuesday in our workplace or friends or family members are like, hey, what did you do this weekend? And it's easy for us to talk about the, the game or easy for us to talk about things we did with our family or our friends. Maybe in the midst of all of that, would you take a second to say, man, we went to church yesterday and we were just hearing about this Jesus who sees us and knows us. This Jesus who loves us. Like, it's, it's been amazing. It's been challenging my heart. And yeah, you might get the reputation of like, man, that's the Jesus guy. Isn't that the point? If you're going to call yourself a Christian and ultimately a follower of Christ, and people label you of like, man, that's the guy that loves Jesus, is that not the point and the purpose of what God's called us to do? That they would see something different about us? And so find somebody and tell. Be faithful to share your faith or share an invitation or just share what you've been hearing and learning from God today. And Jesus freely invites us, anyone, to come and to see but then he'll call us to come and die. Come and see, yes, but then come and die. And Jesus calls us to commit and follow. That's what I mean by that. And that's what he means when he says come and die that we'll see later in the gospel. Jesus calls us to commit and follow. In verse 43, it's interesting. It says the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip. He found him. It wasn't an accident. Jesus was seeking. He was searching for those who didn't know him. This is the purpose of Jesus. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, right? So he came looking for Philip. And then when he finds Philip, he says, follow me. Follow me. And just two words. Follow me. 
And you'd think with just two words, we couldn't mess that up, right? We couldn't confuse that. And yet there's a lot of confusion about what it means to follow Christ, to follow me. It's just two words, so simple. And yet when we think about our culture today, we think about following somebody, we think, I follow my sports team, right? I watch the, what does it mean when you follow a sports team? You watch the game, right? If you can't watch the game, you check the scores the next morning. You might buy some merchandise, a jersey or a hat. Like, that's what it means to follow a team in our culture, right? Or we think about following somebody and it, our minds rush to social media where we might follow hundreds or thousands of people. What does it mean to follow them? We get on there and we scroll through and we look and we're like, oh, they had this feed today. Or we scroll and we look and we're like, oh, they went to the state fair today, right? Or they're doing this or that with family or friends. Like, we look and then we, we move on. Or we might follow a, an artist, a music artist or an author. And we see what they put out and we listen to their CDs or their albums or we buy their books and we read it. And so we follow them. Or maybe it's a movie actor you really like. You follow their career, right? And so when we think about following, we have a wrong view of following because none of those cost us Anything, no self-denial, no sacrifice, nothing. We just think follow people and we have this list of things that we do to follow them and they don't cost us a thing. And yet the Gospels are really clear. Thirteen times in the four Gospels, Jesus will call somebody to follow me. He'll say that statement, follow me. And every single one of those times, it comes with teeth to it, a commitment. It's not just like, oh, follow me. Do whatever you want to. No, there's a commitment to it. And I think Luke chapter 9 says it best. Luke chapter 9 verse 23 says this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Do you see that? This is what Jesus means when he makes that statement, follow me. That he would deny himself, that he would take up the cross of self-sacrifice daily and follow him. This is what it looks like to follow Christ. It's a commitment. It's a, it's a full-fledged following of, of laying down yourself and following Christ. It's interesting, this Gospel of John, this, this man who wrote this book right here, Jesus looks at him in the Gospel of Matthew and says, follow me. And he has to leave behind his, his, his dad and his job, and he follows Jesus. It costs him something to follow Jesus. You get to Matthew chapter 19, and there's this rich young ruler, right, who wants to follow Jesus. And Jesus even invites him to follow me. But he says to him, go sell everything that you have, and then follow me. He says, I don't know if I want to do that, Jesus. The rich young ruler turns away because it costs him something to follow him. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. In this one section right here, three people are challenged to follow Christ. And every one of them is met with a, a sacrifice, a laying down of themselves in order to follow Christ. One man, he says, you're going to have to give up your house if you want to follow me. Because the Son of Man does not have anywhere to lay his head. So if you follow me, then you've got nowhere to call home. He looks at another man, he's like, you're going to have to leave those who are sick and ailing. The, the, your parents, you're going to have to leave them. Let the dead bury their dead and come and follow me. He says to no one, you're going to have to say goodbye to your friends. You're going to have to change your life and follow me. And we find that 
This call right here to Philip is no different. He says, follow me, Philip. And history tells us that Philip, as he follows Christ, literally, it, he dies being crucified the same way that Christ was crucified. Because he refused to deny his belief in Jesus being the Lord and the Lamb of God. So literally, as Philip follows Christ, it costs him his very life. Now, I don't know about you, but the first time I read this passage, and the second time I read this passage, and the hundredth time I read this passage, what, what, I, what I would love to do is kind of round off the edges of these, these passages where Jesus tells somebody to come and follow him. Just kind of make it more palatable to follow Jesus, more appealing. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus never made it soft and easy and, and light and fluffy to follow him. I mean, he said there's going to be a cost to following him, to commit to him. It's going to be hard at times. So why do it? Why should we follow him? And the answer to that question is because Jesus' presence in our life is better than any sacrifice that we'll ever make. Any sacrifice. Being in the presence of Jesus is better. And those who come and see and know him know that to be true. We know it to be true. The presence of Jesus is better than the absence of sacrifice in our life. And this is what I love about this call here. This call to follow me. This is to be in the presence of Christ. It doesn't just say follow. Look at that. Follow me. Jesus is inviting us to be with him. To be in his presence. That's better. That's better than any sacrifice that we'll ever have to make. So Jesus is calling you to follow him. Will you follow him? Will you follow him in every area of your life? And what it means is we come to God's word and we see what Jesus is calling us to do with our lives. Calling us to submit and sacrifice and give to him. And we say, yes, I'll do that. That's what it means to follow him. So we look at our money and we look at how God's word calls us to steward it. We say, yes, we'll do that, God. We'll do that for you. We look at our sexuality and we say, God, we look at your word and what you've commanded and what you've said. And we will follow you. And what, not what our culture says. Not what our feelings are driving us to do. But we'll look at you and your word and we will follow you. We'll look at our marriage and say, God, we want to reflect your love for your church. And so we're going to reflect in our marriages your love. We will follow you. All of us have different temptations in our life to follow our selfish desires or follow the world's desires. And the question is, will you follow Christ? Will you follow him in your life? And if you say you're a follower of Christ, then you've got to understand you cannot plow a straight line forward while you're always looking back. You cannot continue to look backwards at what you gave up or what it was a sacrifice. Because when you sacrifice you, for Jesus, you gain everything. Everything. And so you'll see many times in the scriptures that Jesus will call us to sacrifice and deny ourselves. But there are beautiful, beautiful promises that God gives to us if we'll follow him, right? Even this book says believe and you will live. 
there's life found in him. Jesus promises, if you follow me, I will give you peace. Jesus promises that in this world you will have trouble, but come to me and I will give you rest. I mean, there are plenty of promises of joy and greatness that are found if we look to Jesus. But will we follow him today? I believe my whole heart that if you follow Jesus, that you will just see greater things than you've ever seen. You'll see greater things that you've never thought that you'd ever see. And that's the last part of this passage. The last several verses, you will see that Jesus promises greater things. This is where he leads us. This is where Jesus leads us. He leads us to greater things. What are some of those greater things? I mean, one is personal transformation. Just read this with us. This is a greater thing. And we see this in verse 42, where it says, he brought him to Jesus, Andrew bringing Cephas, or Simon, to Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, hey, you're Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, this is, this is a, a weird moment, a weird moment to say the least. I mean, could you imagine if this happened? I mean, Jesus meets this guy for the very first time. He's like, what's your name? He's like, oh, my name's Simon. He's like, oh, that's a good name. But no, your name's Peter. Like, what? Who are you? Like, my daddy named me. Who are you in this moment to change my name? And yet Jesus has the audacity to do it. What? I mean, put yourself in this situation. Maybe you go to a small group for the very first time. You're going to try that out in 2022. You're going to try to get connected to a small group here. And the first time you go into a small group, you meet somebody there, maybe the leader of the group, and you're like, hey, my name's Frank. And he's like, oh, good name, Frank. But you look more like a Sam. We're going to call you Sam. Hey, everybody, let's just call him Sam. Like, what? This is a weird moment. What is happening right here? Well, what Jesus is doing is he's seeing something in Simon that Simon doesn't yet see. Listen to me for a moment. Listen. What Jesus is doing is he's telling us God will define you and what he's going to do through you, not what has happened to you. Jesus knows what's going to happen to Peter. He's like, I'm going to change your name because of what I'm going to do through you. The statement that you're going to make where I am the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. Peter, when you say these things, when you preach the first sermon to the church and 3,000 people come to believe in the gospel, I'm going to look at you and say, see, on that rock of your confession, I'm going to build my church. You're going to preach this gospel of who I am and people are going to believe. He sees something in Peter that he does not yet see. And yet for many of us, we're not defined by what Jesus says about us. We define ourselves by what the world says about us. And it's sad. The world will put labels on us. You've been called a name before. The world will look at you and say, you're worthless. You're an accident. You're an idiot. You're a moron. You're ugly. Nobody loves you. Nobody cares about you. You're so annoying. And we'll hear these names that the world calls us. But I, I'm here to tell you that's not true. You're not worthless. 
You're not hopeless. You're not an accident. You're, you're none of those things. God's word, when you come to him, when you look and see and when you commit to follow, Jesus changes your destination. He changes you personally. He changes you. This is what Jesus does. And I love the first chapter of, of Ephesians. I read it often because the whole first chapter of Ephesians is God telling you who you are. He's giving you your identity. He's showing you. So when you read the book of Ephesians, and specifically chapter 1, you're going to see where God's word says, if you believe in him, you follow him, you're committed to him, you are faithful. You are blessed. You're adopted as a child of God. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. You're rich according to the graces of God. You are sealed with the promise of God. That's what Ephesians 1 tells us. This is who we are. This is what God says about us. This is how God names us when we look to Jesus Christ and we believe in him. This is how he changes us. If you get to the very end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, it's this beautiful picture of where, where we're there before Jesus and we see Jesus. And Revelation chapter 2, verse 17 tells us that he will give us the stone. And on that stone will have a name, a new name for you and for me. The name that Christ would give us. And so one day we're going to see that name. But we know without a shadow of a doubt that we are faithful, we are blessed, we are adopted, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're rich, we're sealed because of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the beauty of it. And Jesus changes us personally. Absolutely. That's one of the great changes that Jesus brings our life that we see in the text. But we also see that Jesus offers us the greatest love. The greatest love. You see, in verse 47, Jesus sees Nathanael coming towards him. And he knows who Nathanael is. He knows him well. As he comes to him, he says, look, a man in whom there is no deceit. He knows the depths of his heart in that moment. And it's funny because Nathanael's response is, how do you know me? You're going to say I'm a man of no deceit, but like how do you know me? Who are you to say that? And Jesus responds and says, I saw you. I saw you. I see you. I see you. And some commentators argue, you know, like what's, what's going on here? Maybe it was just Jesus walking by the path and he looks up to this fig tree and he sees Nathaniel sitting underneath it and he sees him in that moment. But that can't be what's happening in this moment. And the reason why is because of Nathaniel's response. Like if Nathaniel was sitting in this public space and he was out there where everybody saw him and walked by, then, then he wouldn't respond like he did. But when Jesus says, hey, I saw you, Nathaniel's response in verse 49 is, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. There's something supernatural that happens in this moment. Nathaniel must have been doing something private or away from other people where he wasn't seen. And yet Jesus says in that moment, I saw you. Because Jesus sees all of us. Jesus knows the depths of our heart just like he does Nathaniel. Hey, this guy, he's got no deceit in his heart. He sees us. He knows the depths of our heart. And yet, at the same time, he loves us to the heights of heaven. This is astounding love. This is great love in this moment. This is what's happening. Jesus is showing him his great love. I see you. I know you. I know your struggles. I know your addictions. I know your pain. I know your wounds. I know all these things. I see you. 
God sees you. You think nobody else does? God in his love does. He sees you and he knows you. That shouldn't intimidate us. It should warm our hearts to come to him. Because though he sees us, he loves us. That is a great love that Jesus offers. The greatest love that we'll ever have. Lastly, Jesus shows us another aspect of greatness. He shows us greatness of heaven on earth. Heaven on earth. In verse 51, we'll quickly hit this, but you can read this on your own. Back in Genesis 28, Jesus is going to quote Genesis 28 right here. It's fascinating. Because Jesus promises you're going to see greater things. And then he's like, and this is the greater thing that you're going to see. And he quotes Genesis 28. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, while this is so fascinating, in Genesis 28, this man Jacob is running for his life. There's fear in his heart. And he goes to bed in the wilderness one day and he has this dream and God speaks to him in the dream. And what he sees is this ladder of Jacob. Some of you that have been around church for a while, you've heard of that. Or Stairway to Heaven, if you've heard that song. It's kind of that same principle, this idea of like how we get to heaven. And it says in Genesis 28 that Jacob sees the angels ascending and descending on this ladder. And at the top of the ladder, he sees heaven and he sees God. That's what the image is. And Jesus takes that image and he tweaks the words, changes them just a little bit. If you're not careful, you'll miss it. But in 51, there's, there's a very, verse 51 of John chapter 1, there's a very important word. There's two letters in there. On. On the Son of Man. It's very interesting. You see, back in Genesis 28, you see, he sees this dream, he sees this picture, this ladder that's going from heaven to earth. God. And here in verse 51, Jesus is like, you're going to see something much greater. Not that you're just going to see God up in heaven, but you're going to see how God has made a way from us to get from earth to heaven. And it is on this ladder. This Jacob's ladder, Jesus is saying, I'm that ladder. You see the, the angels that are ascending and descending, they're doing it on the Son of Man. That is Jesus Christ. And he'll call himself that multiple times. He is that bridge. He is that gap that gets us from earth to heaven. He's the one that has made the way of salvation. That's the glory of this passage. That's the greatness. He's saying you're going to see and you're going to understand, Nathaniel, that I am the way to salvation. I am the way to heaven. This is far greater than anything else they've ever seen on trying to work your way to heaven. Instead, it's this gift of not a ladder that you have to climb and work your way up, but the one who's already done all the work for us and has made a way through him and his life and his righteousness that you can go to heaven all the time. This is the greatness of this passage. And so please come and see. Come and see Jesus. Believe in him. Believe in him. Would you follow and would you commit? And I promise you, because of what Jesus said here, if you will come and see, if you will follow and commit, you will see greater things than you've ever seen before. Let's pray. This morning, if you're watching online,
don't know Jesus. But today you've come and you've seen, and you've never seen him like that before. He's done something in your heart and your life. I would just invite you now to pray to him, and he has already made a way. He's already that ladder where you can ascend and be with God for all of eternity. And so would you take this moment right now from your couch, from your bed, to pray and ask that he would save you. But remember, remember that once you are rescued, you're a part of the rescue team. And so for those of us who have been rescued, take this time now to pray for the one that you know is distant. Pray for an opportunity that you would get to share this good news of Jesus with others. That you would get a chance to invite them to come and to, to see who Jesus is. Would you take a moment to pray for that person? And even as you think about that person, also think about yourself. The different areas of, of sin in your life that you want to hold on to. You don't want to release, you haven't been following Christ in this area of your life. Would you pause and repent pray God would you help me to, to obey you and to follow you to lay down myself and deny myself and to take up my cross and follow you daily and as you do that you'll experience the greatness of his peace patience and goodness to you you'll experience all that so look to him Christ, thank you. Thank you for being that ladder that has made a way for us to get to heaven. God, thank you for the great things that you offer us and promise us in this life. But we know without a shadow of doubt, it is founded in you. And so we just praise you for that. Your goodness, your, your graciousness, your patience with us. Thank you for that. And Lord, may your goodness and your grace be what stirs our hearts to worship you in every aspect of our lives. We worship you.